0: I am blessed to be here with all of you tonight as we continue our study through the Word of God. Tonight we are starting the second leader, le- leader second letter from Peter. And this letter from Peter um, is from Peter because verse 1, he identifies himself as the author of this letter. Uh, for those of you that are, you know, interested in historical details, this ret- letter, gosh, I can't talk tonight. This letter was written not long before his execution. Uh, Most think it was written sometime between 64 and 67 AD, just a few years after he wrote his first letter. Um, And it's thought that he wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome, awaiting execution. Now, his audience to this letter uh, is the same exact people he wrote to in the first letter. Because in chapter three, verse one, he says, dear friends, this is now the second letter that I have written to you. So not hard to figure out, he's writing to the same people. And if you remember that audience, that, that, that group he was writing to in 1 Peter, was Christians, Jews and Gentiles, who were scattered around what's modern day Asia Minor, the Turkey area, um, they were Christians who were under great persecution. They were facing great suffering simply for being Christians. And this letter, as a follow-up letter from Peter to those same churches, builds on the theme from the first letter of Peter. And if you remember, the the overarching theme of the first letter of Peter was was really an encouragement to, to keep going, right, in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, how to persevere. And it really, the whole letter was about how to persevere Um, starting with the understanding that we have a secure foundation, a solid foundation with which to build our lives upon because we have a a solid future and a hope, right? We have heaven. We have glory ahead of us, right? So the whole letter was really about, about, you know, okay, church, buckle down, hang on, understand that suffering can be good, understand that getting through persecution for your faith is possible, you know, the example of Jesus and, and so on and so forth. But he goes now from that to focusing not just on the stand strong and suffer because of the foundation that is Jesus Christ, but now he moves on to focusing on the spiritual growth itself, the spiritual growth that that we as Christians are called to have, and really that spiritual growth is rooted, it's interesting because this is how Peter ended his first letter, and then a few years later it's really his underlying theme, is that our ability to, to grow spiritually is rooted in our understanding of God's grace. And what that means, and it really the, the the focus on the spiritual growth that Peter gets into here, um, being rooted in the understanding of God's grace, really is is based upon the understanding that it is God's grace that truly empowers us. It is God's grace that truly enables us, transforms us, really makes it possible for us to live righteously. It's God's grace that makes that, that makes that possible, and so. The first letter of, I'll get it by the end of the study, I'm sure. (laughs) The first letter um, that Peter wrote, he he was mainly concerned about dangers from the outside, right? Persecution coming against believers. Oppression coming against believers. It was mainly persecution from the outside. But in this letter, he's now more concerned with the dangers that come from inside, inside us, the dangers that come from inside the church. He deals with deception. He deals with false teaching. And really, those are the two big internal dangers he deals with because both of those things, deception and false teaching, are what lead to stunted spiritual growth, are what cause us to to stop growing spiritually and uh, end up with a shaky or a wavering faith. And so when we opened the letter to 1 Peter, um, if you remember, I spoke of how both of these letters um, speak of the importance of building our life on a solid foundation, right? That was in the very beginning of 1 Peter chapter one. And at that time, if you remember, I spoke of a famous landmark that is such a great picture of what happens when you don't build on a solid foundation, right? This famous landmark that is famous for one reason, and it's called the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? Not really a unique structure, The architecture of the tower is very similar to much that you can see throughout the area. Um, It's not really super high. I mean, it's not so much an engineering marvel or an artistic marvel in that sense. It's famous because it's tilting, right? That's why it's famous, right? And it's called the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Um, From the very beginning, as soon as it was done being constructed, it started to lean over. And it's leaned a little bit every year ever since, and will eventually, it'll just completely topple over. And there's a restaurant next to it that's kind of right under the path, so don't eat at the restaurant if you go over there, because we never know, right? But the question that, that this letter from Peter poses to us is, is, do you want your Christian life? Now and when you're gone, leaving it behind as a legacy, do you want your Christian life to resemble some freaky tourist attraction? <laughs> That's leaning over and just odd and strange and, and going to crumble. Everybody knows it's going to crumble one day. Or do you want your Christian life to resemble something solid, something helpful, something permanent? That's really the, the questions that Peter poses here. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into it. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for these letters, Lord. We thank you for the, the canon of your scripture that we have, Lord, to study, to know you, to know who you are to know what you want, to know who you want us to be and how to get there, Lord. God, your word is, is, is life. Your word is the source of all knowledge, all truth, and so God, we just thank you, God, that we get to study it. Lord, I pray, God, that as we start this second letter from, from Peter the Apostle, Lord, that you would uh, just encourage us and speak to us, Lord, and that the, the lessons that he was trying to impart to those he originally wrote to, God, those same lessons would, would become a part of our lives that we would apply these lessons, Lord, to really get on with building our lives, the structure of our lives, God, to build on the solid foundation that is Jesus Christ. And then as we build and and move through our life, Lord, that we would not be a structure that is looked at oddly and made fun of and pointed at, but instead, Lord, our lives would be, be a structure that glorifies you. And so, Lord, help us to understand, help us to learn, help us to apply, God, what it is you want from your word tonight. We give ourselves to you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, surprisingly, we're looking at 11 whole verses tonight. And I know that's odd for me, right? But, um, but there's a whole thought here that I wanted to unpack, you know. And, um, you know, I also wanted to open with another question that these verses suggest to us. <laughs> Um, When you're asking yourself, you're evaluating your own Christian life, uh, it's a good question to ask, are you growing up or are you just growing old? Are you growing up or are you just growing old? We all know that growth is a normal part of life and I think we all understand the process, right? You know, especially if we've had the opportunity to watch babies grow, right? Those of you that have had kids, you know, and, and they start out so helpless right? They can't even communicate outside of just screaming their head off, you know, and, 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 and but they grow, right? They grow. They mature. They learn, and, 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 and so as parents that, that are dealing with young children, we learn to, to, to deal with the noise, and to deal with the messes, and to deal with the broken things, right? And, and, and because we know that they're, they're, they're babies, and they're getting there, but when you grow up and someone tries to act like a baby, we all like, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, time, it's, it's time to act like an adult, right? And so we know this process of growth is important. It's so important you know. in our culture. We mark it with birthdays, right? We celebrate every year. You're one more year older, one more year older, and then some of us, we get to a certain age. And then that's the age we turn for every year after that, right? You know, 25 forever. But all life, it starts with birth. And it's the same spiritually. Our spiritual lives start with birth, right? Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. And the Bible is very clear about why. Because outside of that salvation experience, our spirit is dead. It is dead. And so our spirit has to be reborn. And then from that time of birth, spiritual birth, then there is an expectation of growth, an expectation of development, an expectation of maturity. And that's really what these first 11 verses are all about. Um, I want to use the same construction metaphor concept that I used in 1 Peter, right? And so the title of this study is Constructing a Forever Faith. And in that, there's um, two general principles about spiritual growth I want to touch on. But then there's four specific things I want to look at in these verses that really have to do with with our constructing a forever faith in our lives. But the first two general principles about spiritual growth that I wanted to kind of mention is that spiritual growth has nothing to do with your physical age, okay? That's an important one. Spiritual growth has nothing to do with your physical age. You can be physically older than someone else, but spiritually an infant compared to them, okay? That's just the reality, right? People get saved at all different times of life. People get saved when they're young. People get saved when they're middle-aged. People get saved when they're old. Salvation is not reserved for a certain time period of life. And so, but we can't think that just because someone is physically older that they that means they're inherently spiritually older that's just simply not the case but the other general principle about spiritual growth i wanted to point out is that you can grow spiritually as much as you want to right there's no cap on our spiritual growth this is one of the central concepts that peter gets to in this letter and Really, the, 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 the idea here in these first verses is that the secret to spiritual growth, right? I think all of us as Christians say, I wanna grow spiritually. I wanna keep maturing in my faith, you know? At least we should, sometimes we don't. Um, there are people that, that get saved and then they go, sweet, I'm good, I'm done. I don't ever wanna grow up in my faith. And, and they're missing out on a lot. Their salvation is free, but they're missing out on blessing. They're missing out on so much that that growing in our faith reveals. But the secret to continued growth is simply using what God has provided to us. Using what God has provided to us. And so, like I said, I want to use this construction metaphor again. And so the four things that I want to point out here in these verses that really we need to construct a forever faith, Uh, the first thing here is that we got to find the right investor. (laughs) All right. When you're gonna do a big construction project, um, typically you gotta find someone that's gonna bankroll the project, to pay the price for the project, right? So look at verse one of Second Peter chapter one with me. It says, Simeon Peter, and that might sound strange to you because isn't it Simon Peter? Yes, but in Acts chapter 15 verse 14, he is referred to by Simeon. I don't know why, okay, but it's, it's Peter the Apostle. It says, Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, the structure of our Christian life all begins with God. It all begins with God, right? He is the one that offers the free gift of salvation. He is the one that, that paid the price and, and offers that. And so that this whole Christian life, it begins, as Peter says here, when we receive a faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that phrase there when he says, to those who have received a faith, the word faith there, it's not it's not the other words that sometimes we see for faith that re- refers to the faith, right? The doctrine, the theology, all that. What he means here is a faith is a trust, a confidence, an assurance. And he's speaking of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So he's talking about you know that you've received a faith, you've received a trust, you've received a confidence, you've received an assurance of your salvation through the righteousness. Of our God and Savior Jesus Christ and we know this but it bears repeating the Bible is very clear none of us are righteous the Bible says there are none righteous no not one including you whoever you are who just thought well maybe me you know you're included in the no not one there is no righteous human being there is nothing in us that is righteous when we come to the Lord and finally realize our, our depravity and our wickedness and, and our lack, and we say, God, I, just, I believe you died for me and I put my faith in you, and we come to that salvation moment, the Bible tells us that we are imputed the righteousness of Christ through faith in him, right? So this opening idea here is that God invests in our life, in your life, in my life. He invests in our life by paying the price for our sin. He paid the price for our sin because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So his death on the cross was the payment for my sin, for your sin. And when, when we come to know and understand who Jesus is, what he did for us, and then we receive by faith what, what, what he did for us, his sacrifice on our behalf, the Bible says that we begin new lives. We're born again. We begin new lives that are then infused with grace and peace. And we see both of those things here in Peter's opening to this letter. And Peter's prayer, really the goal of that grace, the goal of that peace in our life is that it would multiply. That it would multiply and grow. That word multiply there, it, 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 it brings to mind what a, what a virus does in our system, right? That's in a bad negative way, but a virus gets in there and it multiplies and it grows and it makes you sick and all kinds of stuff. Well, the good grace and peace that God has for us, the intent of God imputing those things and pouring those things out into our lives is that they would multiply, And this is the idea of the building of our spiritual life, the structure of our spiritual life. And so that that multiplication of grace and peace, this building of our spiritual life, um, is accomplished through two things that Peter points out here that that incidentally I think would be two good things about a good investor, right? The power and the promises of God. Look at verse 3. This is the power. He says, His divine power has given us everything required for life, And godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Isn't that an amazing verse? Think about what divine power can do. Divine power, it's talking about God power. Think about what divine power can do. We already know a bunch of what it's done, right? It created the universe, created everything that exists in the big macro, you know, the stars and the, the expansive universe, everything down to the smallest atoms and quarks and leptons and the stuff we can't even see, it's so tiny. He made all of it. He sustains all the natural forces of our natural world, right? All of those laws of physics that he created, and he sustains all of it. We know that his divine power can heal the sick We read about it in Scripture. Some of you may have been healed. I've been healed supernaturally by God. It raises the dead. Right? Divine power is is, is pretty powerful. (laughs) Jesus said at the end of the Gospels, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And that word authority means power. All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. All of it. Right? Jesus came to this earth. He lived. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he died on the cross, went into the tomb, was resurrected. We're about to celebrate that with Easter here in a little bit. I'm so excited. And he rose up. And he went into his glory. And Jesus said, all power has been given to me. And then it says here that his divine power has given us Everything required for life and godliness. All of that power that was given to Christ. Christ says, I'm giving you my children for life and godliness. Now, life and godliness, those two words together, mean exactly what they read, a godly life. <laughs> right? that, that's, that's what it means there, to live a godly life, to live a life in obedience to him, doing what he wants, living how he says, treating each other the way he wants us to. The ability to do that is given to us by God. And so his divine power has been given to us to enable us to live the godly life. He says, hey, you guys, I want you to live this way. You could could state it a different way where it means um, because he is given the power and because he has all the power, that the spiritual life he is calling us to live, the spiritual growth and maturity that he wants to see through us, the structure of our spiritual life we can grow as much as we want. We can grow as much as we want because our spiritual growth isn't dependent on our ability. It's completely dependent on his ability. And and, and we're never going to exhaust the reservoir of God's power. God's power is unlimited. God's power will never run out, right? It's like a battery that will never die on you. And so you could just keep tapping into that power to grow to mature spiritually as much as you want it's a power that will never run out it's a power that will never go away and god has invested that power into your life for your spiritual growth and we gain access to it it says there through the knowledge of him through knowing christ all right paul put it this way in philippians 4:13 i am able to do all things through him christ who strengthens me And the word strengthens there in Philippians means to give capability to, or to empower. So the idea is that God invests his power into our lives so that we can live for him. The more I learn over the years, I've learned over the years, and I continue to learn about this, this, the the Christian faith, the more one-sided I see how this whole deal is, right? God's like, you know, you've sinned against me, you broke my law, you deserve judgment. I'm a just and holy God. So we go to court, I got nothing. And Jesus says, no, I'll be your advocate, I'm your attorney. And then they do the case and they go, yeah, you're a guilty sinner, you need the death penalty. And then Jesus goes, oh, by the way, I'll go to the electric chair or whatever they do now. I'll take the death penalty for you, I will die your death. And we're like, man. And then we go, I, I'm so thankful, God. I want to I wanna live in obedience for you, God. I trust in what you did for me. I put my faith in your death. That paid my price. That wiped my, my slate clean. And then God goes, great, now I want you to live for me. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm still a wicked sinner. <laughs> I can't do it. He goes, "Oh, yeah, by the way. Okay, I my power, I'm going to give you my power to do the thing I'm asking you to do. I'm commanding you to live for me, but I'm going to empower you to do it." I'm like, "Okay. Well, thanks, God. That's amazing." It's just every step of the way, he provides exactly what we need to do the thing he's calling us to do. And in the big picture when 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 we looked at you know, his holiness and his righteousness, and, and there was a call to say, God, we, I want to enter into your presence, but I can't because I'm a wicked sinner. He, he didn't say, Well, you have to jump through all these hoops in order to be saved. You know, the grace of God, you go back and look in the Old Testament, we talked a little bit about this in the last study, you know, man demanded the law. God was like, hey, let's just have a relationship. You love me. I love you. It would be great. Man's like, nah, we need a list of rules. And God's like, you don't understand. You you won't follow the rules. Yes, we will. I don't want to have to love you. Just give me rules. Let me earn it. And so we were given the law. And man's like, great, we got the list of rules. Let's do it. Broke every one of them constantly. God's like... I told you, I I just wanted to to love you and have you love me. And why do we have this relationship based on laws and everything, right? But it took decades and centuries for for people to get this, right? You get all this through the Old Testament. Then you get to the New Testament and God's like, I'm here. I'm gonna die once for all. I'm gonna fulfill the law, right? Everything you couldn't do, I'm gonna do for you and then give you the benefit for all of it. It's just just mind-boggling, but beautiful and true. And so he gives us the power. When God calls you and, and leads you to, to attempt something in living for him, right? When God calls you and, and says, hey, I want you to obediently follow me, he enables you to do it by his power. That's why it's, it's, it's a lie. Anytime we say, I can't, I can't. No, you don't want to. That's really what that means. You don't want to. Because as we're gonna get into a moment, there is some, some effort on our part in this. But again, the power that God gives us allows us to do what he's calling us to do. And then his promises, look at verse four. He says, by these, and he's referring to uh, at the end of verse three, it says his own glory and goodness. He goes, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Now, if you think about it, a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise, right? Right? if a flat out compulsive liar makes a promise, that promise doesn't hold much weight, right? It doesn't have much value. A promise can be made, but if there's no power to back up that promise, so what? So what? You know, and in construction, an investor is the guy that bankrolls the project. He's the guy that writes the checks, so to speak, right? Now, we live in a day and age where the concept of checks is largely becoming obsolete, right? carrying a checkbook, that type of thing. You know, nobody really does that anymore, or at least it's quickly becoming something nobody does. Most employers, you know, your pay check, the piece of paper that they used to give you that was a promise that when you go to the bank and say, this is my money, we'll put that much money in your bank account. Right now, it's all direct deposited electronically. Banks don't even need the paper anymore. They just take a picture of the check on your app, and you could deposit that stuff into your account. Then in today's world we have things like Venmo and Zelle, right? And the reason technologies like this have come up is because in our world unfortunately writing a check it was a piece of paper that promised that you would get the money. You would get the amount of money on this piece of paper when you deposited this into your bank. You weren't actually paid. You didn't actually receive any money. You received a piece of paper that was a promise that when you cashed this, you would get the benefit, you would get the money that's on this check. But unfortunately, often when you would go to deposit the check, that would be when you found out that the promise that someone made on this piece of paper, they didn't have the power to back it up, they don't have the money in their bank account, the check bounces and all that nonsense, right? There was no power to back up the promise. And unfortunately, by the time you found that out, the person that owed you the money was long gone. And then on top of that, if you lost the paper check or forgot about it, you'd never get the benefit of the promise, right? It wasn't like someone handing you cash that you could turn around and go spend and do something with. And so, you know, our world said, hey, we're gonna come up with ATM cards, access to money, services like Venmo and Zelle, and all this stuff has come up now that that basically are like, look, when you use these services, the money transfers now. We're not waiting on the promise of a piece of paper anymore because too many people can't back up the promise. So no, no, we're going we're to use an app or something that gives me the money right now. But using the illustration, the idea is that God has the money in the bank. He has the power to fulfill the promise. And so when he writes the check, so to speak, he's making a promise and he says, look, you can go cash this and I have the power to back it up. When you say, I'm going to, I want to, this promise, what it says to my life, I want to cash this in, I want to spend it. It's never going to bounce in God's economy. But you have to cash the check. You have to deposit it. You have to put it in the bank to get the benefit of it. You have to take his promises and say, I'm going to apply that promise to my life. I'm going to believe God has the power to effect this promise in my life and then I'm going to I'm going to live accordingly. A great sign of Christian growth and maturity incidentally is how one treats God's promises. You know, a fearful, panicked, anxious, worried believer that speaks volumes about how, they, how much they really believe God's promises. Now we've all dealt with fear and had situations of, of doubt and struggle. I understand that, but the reality is is if we're a believer and we live in constant fear and constant anxiety and constant worry, that says a lot about how we feel about God's promises, whether we really believe them or not. But a calm, At peace, believer, especially in the midst of difficulties, that speaks of someone who really does believe the promises of God. And then it says here that God's promises are very great and precious. Well, of course they are, because they're from him. (laughs) They're great and precious because they're from one who, who does not lie. They indeed lead to a good and better life. And also because through his promises, it says that we share in the divine nature, The power that he makes available to us and the promises he makes, when we, when we operate in belief of those things and, and say I believe in, in the promise and I believe the power is there to do what he's calling me to do, it says we share in the divine nature. That idea is that we get to be partners with God in living this life. God is attached to the believer's life. He's a part of the believer's life. The Bible says that God himself lives within the believer. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And because of that, we can live lives of confidence saying, look, no matter what comes my way, God's power, God's promises, they've all been invested into my life. And he is a trustworthy investor. And so that investment is going to allow me to meet all the hardships and the potential problems that come my way. So constructing anything of eternal value involves having the right investor. The second thing we need to construct a forever faith is you really have to follow the building code so the structure doesn't fall down. All right? Verse four, he, he talks about this structure collapsing idea. He's, he says escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil, evil desire. I'm gonna talk more about that shortly. But, but through Peter here, God is outlined what following the building code is. Look at verse five, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This is our part in the process of building the structure of our godly lives. We just looked at God's part, he paid the way, he bought the land, He purchased the plot. (laughs) He provides the power. He provides the promises. He bankrolls the thing. He provides all the resources we need. Now, this might seem a bit contradictory a little bit because if you read verse 3, it says, he has given us everything required for life and goodness. But then verse 5, it says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And you're like, well, did he give me everything or do I got to make every effort? What's the idea here? The idea here is that our spiritual growth involves our cooperation with God's operation. We've got to cooperate and follow his lead and follow the plans that he lays out for us because sometimes believers want to read something like this and they want to go, ooh, look, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So sit back, don't lift a finger, don't even bother to try. God's just going to make it all happen for you. Anybody tried that? Doesn't work so well, does it? Right? It doesn't work so well. It's important to understand we're not talking about salvation here. Salvation is a free gift. We do nothing to earn salvation. We didn't do any of the work involved in salvation. God did it all. But Jesus did say, post-salvation, that we should count the cost of discipleship, that we should count the cost of discipleship. Salvation is free. Growing up in Christ takes some effort on our part. Salvation is that free gift. Sanctification requires teamwork. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, make every effort. That means to intensely exert yourself, intensely exert yourself. Growing, maturing, growing up in our faith requires work. Again, not a work to earn our salvation. We're saved because of what God did. But to go through that process of, of, of growing and maturing and refining and becoming a better um, uh, person in this life as a, as a follower of God, it requires some work on our part. Spiritual growth isn't something that happens by accident, it's intentional. Paul spoke of the same exact concept using different words. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he said, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then in the very next verse, Philippians 2 13, he said, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God is the one working in you. He is the one working in us. God is the one that gives us the power. It's, it's his divine power. And, and, and it's his promises. And those promises that he's given us allow us to be partakers, partners with him in his divine nature to be good, godly people. But we work out our own salvation. And that means that, 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 that the change that has taken place in us inside through that free gift of salvation God offers us, manifests outwardly through our faithful obedience and service to Christ. This is the idea of working out your salvation. He's not saying earn salvation. He's going, you're saved. And now the process is live like it. Be the person God has has called you to be. Working out our salvation is, is what Peter says here, making every effort to supplement our faith. And he says to supplement your faith with these seven things. Now that word supplement is pretty interesting. It simply means to supply or furnish at one's own expense. <laughs> you're like, supply or furnish at my own expense, right? That's how it works with renting a house. You go rent a house, you walk in, unless you're paying a ridiculous amount of money, it's empty. The foundation's there, the structure's there, the place is there, the roof's over your head. But you've got to furnish it. In building terms, God invested all the resources needed to build your spiritual house. He bought the plot. He provided the foundation. He's written the check. He has the money in the bank to to cash those checks. And, 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 And you go, well, if he's provided all the resources, what does this word supplement mean? What does it mean at my own expense? It's our effort. It's our commitment to obey. That's the effort. That's the expense that we put in into this process to grow. Again, this isn't about being saved, it's about growing and maturing in our faith. And so if we want the, 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 our spiritual house, right, the structure of our spiritual life, if we want it to be strong, to stand, to be nice, to be pleasing, to be something that glorifies and honors, honors God, then we have some decisions to make in our life. Sure, we can just be saved. And, and I don't mean to diminish that, right? You'll get into heaven if you've truly, genuinely put your faith in God. And, and you'll go to heaven. But James has something to say about that, doesn't he? You can't have a new heart given to you by God and have the, the, the God himself dwelling within you and not be changed. That's what James talks about, you know. He goes, a true saving faith is going to be evidenced in, 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 in works, in, in wanting to do what God calls us to do and be who God's calling us to be. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose technically you could just be saved and get into heaven, but, but are you going to have a godly life or something else? Are you going to grow and mature to reflect Christ's better to, to, to have that light of the gospel shining through you brighter or not. That's, that's kind of what's being addressed in this verse. And so he goes, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement yourself. What reason? Well, then verse prior, it said to escape the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. That means to avoid the moral perversion and degradation that is in the world because of the world's excessive desire to satisfy its own selfish cravings. The world, the corruption of the world, it's moral perversion, it's moral degradation. We're watching it happen right in front of us. And that degradation is because the world just wants to pursue its own selfish cravings it just wants its own happiness and wants to please itself and so I don't want to have to deal with with the the burden of a baby and so let's pass laws that lets me murder my child because I don't want it and at first they start out by going oh well it's just a fetus And now they're trying to pass laws that say, no, the baby's born. The baby's been alive for one, two, three, four weeks. But we wanna pass laws that says it's still legal to kill it. Why? Because your own selfish craving to whatever, not have the burden or the responsibility. It's disgusting, but it's moral depravity. It's where our world's going. And so when he says, make every effort, he goes, intensely exert yourself to furnish your spiritual house with these things, goodness, That word goodness means moral excellence. It's the opposite of moral perversion, incidentally. He says, furnish your house with knowledge. That word knowledge means to have expert knowledge or full knowledge, ultimate knowledge, growing personal, authentic knowledge. It speaks of a practical knowledge more so than a theoretical knowledge. Self-control, that's control over one's desires, right? Sometimes there's a massive gap between what we know and what we do, isn't there? Self-control bridges that gap. And so he says, you know, add to what you know about God and and know God more by doing what he wants you to do. That's the idea here. It's the idea of an athlete that is saying, I'm not gonna eat certain foods. I'm gonna actually train in certain ways because I wanna win the race. That's the idea of self-control here. Endurance, that means to bear up under the trial. It's the idea of hang in there, right? Godliness, that word means piety, or reverence. And speaking of behaving with loyalty to God in Christ. Brotherly affection is that, is that sibling love between two, two siblings, and then love is the word agape. That's sacrificial love. That's an unconditional love. He goes, look, intensely exert yourself. Make every effort to furnish this house that God has paid for and built the foundation and provided all the resources and given you the power to do it. He's given you everything you need to do it and he goes, just do it. Add these things to your life, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And the wonderful truth is God gives us the power to do all these things. Incidentally, this list is not meant to be like a buffet, right? Oh, I'll have some of that. Oh, I'm not feeling that right now, (laughs) you know? This list is is a list of things that are tied to each other. They build on each other. Faith results in a life of goodness, and as you choose more goodness, it leads to knowing God better. And as you know God better, you become more self-controlled. And when you're more self-controlled, you'll endure under the pressure better. And when you do that, you'll develop a greater loyalty and commitment to follow Christ. And when you do that, you develop a genuine care and concern for others in your family, like their family, like their brothers and sisters. And that leads to ultimately a love that will sacrifice for the good of others. So you have the right investor, and you follow the building code. And the third thing we need to construct a forever faith is to build with growth in mind. You know, as we exert every effort to apply these things into our lives, to supplement, right, to, to bring these things in, we're always building with, with an idea that, that my growth now is gonna lead to more growth later. Right, we never plateau or become stagnant or become ineffective Christians unless we stop making every effort to supplement our lives the way we just looked at. Very critical. So look at verse eight. He goes, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort, same phrase, to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And so, he uses this phrase, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that that phrase means that they're overflowing, that they're becoming greater, that they're increasing. If If these qualities keep growing in your life, you will keep maturing. If you keep intensely saying, I'm going to add these things in my life, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to be full of knowledge, and I'm going to be uh, one who exercises self-control, I'm going to do those things. I'm gonna, I'm, and, and God, I can on my own, and so God, I need to depend on you, and I know you gave me the power and promise to do it. As you do that, you will keep growing. As you build with growth in mind, you'll never have a life where it's like, well, I tried Jesus, but that didn't work out for me. Sometimes we hear that. And if that's the case in your life, the reality is that you stopped working, not it stopped working. For one reason or another, you quit. Could be trauma, could be difficulty, but whatever it is, you quit. Because God didn't run out of power and his promises are not untrue. And because you did that, you stagnated. The fruit died out. You know, when the New Testament talks about fruit and bearing fruit, it's an analogy of of an ever-expanding life that spills out and blesses other people. And Jesus told his disciples, look, the secret to being fruitful, abide in me. Stay close to me. Stay connected to me. So the idea is that the life of Christ is flowing into you and and in turn you keep pursuing him and seeking to know him more and seeking to obey him better and then the life of Christ will flow out from you. And it's this process of just you keep growing and you keep maturing. We should want a flowing faith. Our faith, our Christianity, it's not meant to be a me only or for me only kind of thing. Yes, we have times where we need to be refreshed where I need to be poured into, yeah, that happens, we need to drink deeply from the living water, but if that's all we ever do, we get full and we become a stagnant, stinky pond. We have to pour out, and when we do that, we'll be productive, growing believers. When we don't, when we don't keep um, these, these, these qualities increasing in our lives, It says there that the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted. The idea there is someone walking down the street, intentionally squinting their eyes or trying to cover their eyes. You do that, you're going to bump into something. You're going to stumble. You're going to trip. You're going to fall. This is the idea here. And so those who are growing and expanding and adding and supplementing, the idea is that they're living lives where they're wide-eyed. They can see where they've come from, right? It says past sins, they know where they've come from. They know where they've stumbled. And they have eyes wide open to say, I'm going to avoid the things that, that are going to trip me up, and they can see where they are going. Now, he says this interesting phrase in verse 10, to confirm your calling and election. That simply means to prove your choice of God and God's choice of you to be alive, in force, and active in your life. The idea is that we demonstrate to ourselves and we demonstrate to the world that we are God's children when we live obedient lives to him. James 1.22 said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 2.26, he goes, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So again, what he's getting at here is that, that, that life, that spiritual growth in our obediently doing what God says to do isn't what saves us but it is what causes us to grow, and it says a lot about whether he truly is our master or not. So we have the right investor, we follow the building code, we build with growth in mind, and the fourth thing in verse 11 we see is that we got a plan for the move. And I'll try and wrap this up quick. (laughs) Verse 11, it says, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. You see, the eternal kingdom of Christ, that's our destination. That's our ultimate home. That is ultimately where we're gonna land, and everything we build here in this life should be built with that future move in mind. It says, our entry into the eternal kingdom will be richly provided for you. This was a phrase that the Greeks used when an Olympic athlete had won, right? They, they were first place, and then that athlete re, re, uh, uh, returns home and they would, be, they would enter into their home um, richly. The idea was is that they were lavished with gifts, and they were celebrated. The whole town would show up. Songs would be sung. Cheers, celebration, parade. And the idea is that everything we do here in this world, in this life, will affect the next. And the Bible is pretty clear, and it's not wrong to acknowledge that the Bible says that there are rewards in heaven that we will be rewarded for the life we live here. And it's interesting because the Bible says uh, that not everybody's entrance into heaven will be the same. Yes, every saved believer will be there, but their entrance won't be the same. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter three, verse 10. This is Paul speaking, he says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. That's a pretty serious uh, notice, there, isn't it? You know, how will you arrive in heaven when the time comes? Will your entrance into the eternal kingdom of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be be one that is that is rich? and rewarded because you were faithful to the Lord in this life, or or are you just gonna barely make it through? (laughs) Barely squeeze in the door, and so the idea is plan when you build, when you build your life, plan for the move. Plan for that rich entrance into heaven, and so, you know, the gains of heaven, the rewards of heaven, they're gonna far outweigh all the losses of this earth. Anything you give up or lose for the Lord in this life, what you're gonna get rewarded in heaven for that just is going to make it, it's going to go far beyond whatever you give up. But so much depends on how we build here. And the question is, are you building a forever faith? Are you building that structure that, that, that is going to accomplish everything God wants to accomplish here, but then is going to set you up and get you ready and, and prepare you for that entrance into forever, right? We have the best investor One who has the power and and has given the promises, the plot has been purchased, the price has been paid, the resources have been provided. We have the building code, right? We know what he wants us to do. We know who he wants us to be. He's given given us everything we need to do what he wants us to do and to be who he wants us to be. So how about we just cooperate with his operation? How about instead of trying to find ways to, oh, I could be a Christian, but I could still get away with my sin, we just, we just set that stuff aside. We say, I don't want to partake in the corruption of the world and just say, God, I just want to obey you. And instead of going, oh, it's too hard, I can't, so I'm going to go back and sin, how about we go, God, I believe your word, I believe your power, I believe your promises, and I can't. But I know in you I can. So help me to depend on you. Help me to trust in you. Let's make every effort to do and to be who he's calling us to be. We can. We will if we tap into him and say, God, do what you do. Not to earn salvation. Again, that was a free gift. But with an eye to have a life that glorifies him, knowing that one day we will truly enter into his eternal kingdom. Let's not enter into the eternal kingdom stumbling with squinty eyes. <laughs> but let's enter in richly. Let's enter in rewarded, not because we're worth it, because he's worth it, right? We're going to get crowns and it says we're going to throw the crowns back at his feet because oh my gosh, he's amazing. But let's have lives that pursue those goals. That pursues his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you, God, for what you're doing. Lord, it feels weird to consider doing anything because we're going to get rewarded. Yet, Lord, your word speaks of it. I think, Lord, your word speaks of that because, Lord, you know how you wired us, and you did wire us as people who who respond to incentive. Lord, people who have no reason to live and no purpose to live, they're the most depressed people and, and, and Lord, sometimes they end up doing horrible things all the way up to suicide because what is the point? Lord, I believe you created us with a yearning to know you, to pursue you. And God, when we do finally find you and we come to you in salvation and we receive the gift that you have for us, Lord, God, that's not the stopping point. That's simply the starting point, Lord. And so, God, we, we want to live lives here on this earth that glorify your name. We want to live lives here on this earth. We want to build uh, the structure of our spiritual life in such a way, God, that people would see our lives and see you. And so, God, we believe. We believe, God, that, that, that it is your divine power that has given us everything we need to live a godly life. And, Lord, you've given us a blueprint of what that looks like. You saved us. But, God, let us be people of, of virtue and goodness and moral excellence. Let us be people who pursue knowledge of you more and more. Let us be people who exercise self-control and say no to the flesh and no to the sin nature. Let us be people who just who grow in that, in, that, in that piety, God, that we would live lives that demonstrate we are loyal to God. He, he is our father. He is our master. We're his. That we would be people that love one another and love you and love sacrificially because, God, that is the example you set for us. And, Lord, you know Many of us know, and maybe some of us have learned for the first time tonight, we can't do it on our own. We can't. And so, Lord, we need you to do the work in us, and we ask that you do the work in us. We know your Holy Spirit dwells within us, Lord. So, God, I, help, I pray that you would help us to learn how to, how to use what you've given us, God. Not for this life here and now, Lord. Yes, we want to live good lives here and we want to be good people and godly people, Lord. But we know that, that, that forever is coming. We know that eternity is coming. And Lord, when we get there, we want to be greeted by you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your crown and here's your crown and here's your crown, God. Not because we deserve any of that, Lord, but that we'd be able to throw those things back at your feet and glorify your name for the miraculous work that you've done to take broken, selfish, sinful people and transform them into something that would reflect your glory. And God, you do that, you are doing that, and you will continue to do that for any who call upon your name. So Lord, we do just that. We are so thankful, God. Let our lives be lives that reflect the gratitude we have for what you've done. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's worship.